When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on being an unexpected host via video, honoring wedding hosts, handling drama when you're not dramatic, and quite literally, dude, where's my car? Plus your most excellent feedback on social media hijacking, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment that is part two of our How to Bungle a Dinner Party from the 1922 edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I had a slightly different commute this morning. Oh, really? Do tell. I went to my first (laughs) Rotary Club International meeting this morning. Help me out here, because you present at Rotary. It is true. I actually presented for this group a couple weeks ago. This is my hometown Rotary Club in Waterbury, Vermont. And I had such a good time. It was my first exposure to Rotary. And I know them through the community. I know the work they do, keeping up the park and putting on these concerts that happen on Thursday nights that all the kids go to. It's kind of fun. Cool. And I kind of expected it to be uncool. And (laughs) it was uncool in all the ways that I would have hoped. It was very, really? <laughs> uh, it was very earnest, and but they also they do really, really good work. And they say the Pledge of Allegiance and sing a song, and they talk about things that make them happy. And oh, I like that. I found myself thinking, this is a really cool club. There were women there. I was expecting it to be all men. Okay. And I started saying to myself, you know, I could see myself as a part of this club. It might be a really good way to participate in my community. Sure enough, they reached out, and I reached back, and we talked a little bit. So this morning, I gave it a try. You I went, went to, to my first, first meeting. meeting. Oh, wow. Very cool. And it kind of worked. I found myself <laughs> <It worked. laughs> com- coming in to work, but I'd already done something, and I'd been social and civically engaged. And I'm feeling worse and worse about my day as you go on. I'm just kidding. That's awesome. You and Pooja both have had so many moments lately where you're feeling really engaged in your local community. And it's been really fun to hear you embrace that. I mean, I remember over 10 years ago when you moved back to Vermont and you were kind of like new on the Vermont scene again. And look at where you are 10 years later, involved in the Rotary Club, the church. You guys go to the farmer's market every weekend and the festival of lights type stuff. I mean, it's just it's a really, really nice painted picture right there. It's been nice to rediscover the community I grew up in as an adult and to feel like I'm participating in maintaining that community, hopefully for another generation. Okay, well, not to use that as a segue. However, way to give a great segue, because we kind of have an announcement today about maintaining a community and about kind of giving back. We do. We have an announcement that's been a few months in the making. 
We want to let all of you know that there is a new way to support Awesome Etiquette. We are always looking for new ways to grow what we do on AE. We would love to be able to research more topics, participate in more back and forths, but we're going to need help to do that. And we want your help to help us get the help we need to do that. You have asked us for ways to support the show and to support our goal of promoting behavior based on consideration, respect, and honesty in the world today. And we are so pleased to invite you to visit awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and become a subscriber to Awesome Etiquette. It's easy. You get to choose a level of support that works for you. A small monthly contribution helps us keep the lights on, plan for the future, and hopefully keep growing the show and spreading the good vibes. A dollar a month, five dollars a month, ten or even twenty dollars a month. It all really helps. It's one more way to help keep awesome etiquette a part of your life. As a thank you, we've spent time creating a space where you get access to an ads-free version of the show, something I know a lot of you have asked for. And we will also be rolling out bonus content for subscribers, and we'll keep you posted about them as soon as they go live. As always, we want to thank you for all the support that you already give us in the form of questions, feedback, salutes, and the encouragement you give your friends and family to listen as well. As we always say, there would be no show without you. So please come visit us at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and subscribe today. And speaking of questions, feedback, and salutes, we have a show to get to. Yes, we do. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y, 
W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is about an unexpected video host. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm not sure if this has been discussed before, but what are your thoughts on FaceTime etiquette? My husband likes to FaceTime with people while walking around our home, often walking up to me and asking me to say hello to whomever he's video chatting with. I personally find this stressful. While I love saying hi to friends and family, the video aspect can really throw me off guard, like if I'm not wearing a bra or watching some embarrassing TV show, etc., And while I know it really doesn't matter, I find giving our friends an inadvertent video tour of our house when it's messy to be really embarrassing. I don't want to dictate my husband's behavior in our shared home, but with video chatting, it feels like I'm constantly receiving an unexpected guest. Any guidelines you have would be helpful. Thanks for always putting on a great show. Best unexpected video host. I love this question because I never thought about it like that. I have an iPhone, so I FaceTime. But if I'm video chatting and I just bomb someone with a video chat out of the blue, I definitely think low likely chance that they're going to actually pick up because of the types of things that our listener is talking about. But And I expect that as the caller. But when I'm receiving them, I never think oh, maybe my roommate doesn't want, like, to be on a video chat right now. I mean, and she and I certainly give each other heads up, but it's just it brings up such a wonderful perspective of, hey, I'm not ready to host right now. <laughs> Pooja does this to me all the time. Does she really? She absolutely does. She loves video chatting. Her family video chats all the time. Yeah. Her parents love to video meet their grandchildren. Yes, And they spend a lot of time doing it, and it's Absolutely delightful. It's actually a wonderful experience. Anisha's just getting to that point where she recognizes people on the phone. So she delights in that interaction. It's kind of amazing. It could be a FaceTime commercial. (laughs) Um, But we've worked out a few things because I I am the the other person in this equation who's often... Not stoked about it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let me say it for you. (laughs) As much as I've learned to love the calls, I like to have some control about when they happen, when I'm invited to join them, and, and definitely can feel like it sneaks up on you if you're not prepared. There are definitely a few solutions for this because you could easily talk to your husband and explain to him and say, I know you love video chatting and I I get that. I don't always love jumping on the video call, too. And I was wondering if maybe rather than show everyone our house in its state of disarray or, you know, when it's not ready for guests or viewing, we could keep the video chat to a certain room in the house. Something like that, I feel like, is a good suggestion for how to still have your husband enjoy the video chatting. You can put that bra on, tidy up a little bit, turn off that TV show, and then come say hi, or, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel comfortable. I think voicing that is what's really important in this. I just have to say, I'm not worried about unexpected video host doing this badly. I'm almost thinking she's not even going to need the sample language because what she already says is, I don't want to dictate my husband's behavior in our shared home. She already thinks about this from a place of consideration and respect. So now it's time to just add the honesty portion of, honestly, this isn't working for me. Can we find the, the right balance so that it works for both of us? Absolutely. I, I found that just the, the briefest of heads up ahead of a call if someone's initiating it is enough to give me that, that moment of mental preparation so I don't feel performance anxiety about it. It also gives me a chance to say, uh-uh, this is the, the – I don't want to. It's game night. I'm doing something else. I'm already checked out. I'm just yeah. not feeling like it. The other one is that, that 
uh, we had a little talk just about not feeling pressured to join a call. And even just having that, that pressure relieved a little mm-hmm. bit made it easier for me to poke my head in and wave and say hi when I see one of those calls happening. Um, I found that often when these calls are happening with an iPad or a phone, Mm -hmm. if you're doing the view where you're just looking at your own face, if you're not using the front-facing camera, it actually creates a pretty personal, pretty intimate space that doesn't reveal a lot around you. And I think that that view is helpful and, and there might even be just some consideration about how much you're using the the camera that's showing what's going on in the room or sometimes you're doing that to, to show a baby playing or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah, so they yeah. can participate. But using that, the, the camera view that allows you to look into the screen, I think, is another way to keep that space a little more closed and maybe make people feel more comfortable about the background visuals. Unexpected video host, we hope this gives you some ideas for how to move forward with your husband so that you can feel comfortable in your own home. A compromise helps settle some disputes. Each person gives in a little bit, and then both can have part of what they want. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is a Facebook question from Lauren, and Lauren writes, Hello, I've got a bit of an invitation conundrum. While my parents may help with our wedding, my aunt and uncle will be helping with the majority of the expenses. What's the etiquette here? Does everyone belong on the invitation? Is it best to acknowledge them in a speech at the reception? Lauren, first of all, a great big hearty congratulations from everyone here at Awesome Etiquette. What an exciting time. And I also want to say that I think it's remarkable that you have family that want to help you out, that you've got an aunt and uncle who are going to be chipping in to help you have a wedding. That is really, really nice of them. And I I really like the way you're thinking about the best way to honor that contribution. That kind of forethought tells me that probably whatever choices you make are going to work out well. But you do have some options in front of you here. Absolutely. This is, first of all, a conversation that you're you're going to want to have. You're going to want to speak candidly and respectfully with your aunt and uncle. Because they are contributing the majority of the finances, I think you want to ask them if they would like to appear on the invitation. I think that as contributors at that level that are really making this, this party happen, they are hosts at that point. But not everyone wants to host at a wedding or wants to be recognized at the host. Your aunt and uncle may very well say, no, 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 we'd prefer your parents' names listed and we are happy to just know that we contributed and and we don't need to be listed on the invitation. That may be the way it goes. They may say that would we really appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. You can also choose then if they do decide to be on the invitation and everybody's still okay with that, whether I believe you can choose whether or not you would list the bride's parents or the bride's aunt and uncle first. And that just might be something you you choose to take into consideration. You might go with alphabetical order. Um, Typically, you would go with the people closest to the bride first. So that would indicate her parents, given that the aunt and uncle are paying for the majority of this expenses and are really kind of the hosts of this event. I could see some Someone making a case for putting them first. So I would say, you know, you can ask, you can you can try and make suggestions, but I feel like either way will be seen as appropriate. 
And you feel comfortable adding their names to that invitation if they'd like. If they would like. And then you also, maybe if the groom's parents are also contributing, you might have to list them as well. And this happens. This happens when you have both uh, uh, people in the couple are have divorced parents who have remarried. You end up with four sets of parent names sometimes. So it's not uncommon to see this many hosts listed at this point. You may, for simplicity's sake, say together with their families and then list your name and your fiance's name, request the honor of your presence. And this is something a lot of folks choose to do when there are many hands that make a wedding come together and you still want to honor parents as parents, you know, and have them be hosts whether they contributed or not. So I'm a big fan of together with their families. I think it puts the focus back on the couple, which is really, really nice. And it shows that there there were a lot of people who made this happen. There's something about that that really appeals to me. I, I like the simplicity. There's a certain elegance in the simplicity. And I, I like the way you're talking about it, bringing the focus back to the couple, which is where for a wedding that that attention's naturally going to go. I appreciate hearing, though, that it's not uncommon to see names for multiple hosts listed. Absolutely. What um, do you think about the toasting thing? I think that the or, the or the speech. I think that the conversation that you're talking about having that candid, open, early conversation about some really practical concerns like the invitation are going to give you a really good idea about how to handle that toast. Oh, because like if they say no, 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 don't put us on, you might not want you you might not want to go into a big, overtly grateful toast. I see what you're saying. Okay, give me more. <laughs> At the same time, I think that if they are seem really appreciative of your acknowledgement of their support, if they f- seem very comfortable with the conversation, if they're not giving you a lot of clues that they'd rather stay anonymous for the way they're providing this support, that – Something like a mention at the toast when you're thanking a lot of the people that are naturally going to be part of the thanks that you're offering is a really good idea. I would even call it advisable. I think it can be a very meaningful and significant gesture. It's a really good way to include people. And I will trust you to find the right language to do that and the right dosage based on the way some of these early conversations have gone. I would also be thinking about a very personal thank you. I was going to (laughs) say, took the words right out of my mouth, cuz. I think that this is the type of support that you really want to honor. And you can be creative about that. I'm I'm imagining a a custom wedding album Mm -hmm. that would make a really nice gift that you might Mm -hmm. present at a dinner that you have at your home once you're established (laughs) as a couple. Maybe it's a framed picture of them at the wedding. I think even more than any gift, I would go for expressing your gratitude with your words. And I would I would make sure that no matter what you would write, you would write a note and a gift. I, I love the idea of a gift of something that's a photo of the couple, that's a that's some kind of commemoration of what a wonderful thing that they gave to you. But truly, your words are going to mean a lot. And I think a handwritten note or a real moment where you can sit down with them and that, you know, Emily Post always said that in-person thank you truly is the very best because it conveys so much emotion and intent with it. And I think that that also would be a really nice option. Absolutely. It's why I was thinking about doing it like at a dinner at your home afterwards because you really want to make it an event, make it something personal, make it something special so that it really registers because I know this will matter to you. Once again, Our hearty congratulations. Good luck with the rest of your planning, and we hope your day is truly one to remember. Now are you ready for the next family scene? Does anything like this ever happen in your home, in your family? Here we go. 
Our next question is called Color Me Neutral. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. What is a good generic response for people who try to create drama out of nothing and incite a response from you? Ooh. This can range from how do you feel about insert dreaded event here to how do you feel about your significant other traveling so much for work? Isn't it hard? Aren't you going to miss him or her? To which color should I wear? But really, which one is better? (laughs) Obviously, the inquiries that are about things like colors are easy to brush off or just make up an opinion. But the feelings questions aren't. I feel like I'm being prodded for some sort of dramatic response and that when I don't give that response, I continue to be prodded. I usually smile and ignore the question or say something along the lines of, it's fine. But that doesn't seem to be enough and changing the topic usually doesn't work. Even with more detail, my answers are kind of bland. For the most part, these questions don't spark any fire in me. And even if they did, I might or might not want to share. Can I flat out tell them that they're not going to incite drama by pushing the questions? Button pushing is a dynamic in this family, and I don't want to play a part. Or is there a better way to sidestep this prodding? Thanks. I just don't feel that strongly about everything. (laughs) I like this question. I totally hear you. Um, I think that sometimes people get a bit too eager to always discuss problems or they get eager to give you permission to talk about your feelings. And sometimes they're just barking up the wrong tree. Like, no, I don't really have an opinion. No, that doesn't get me fired up. Yes, my life works for me. Thank you very much. And you just you don't understand why they're always looking for trouble. I personally blame too much like unscripted television (laughs) Um, where it's like. Like, there are whole shows created about let's try and make drama out of something that probably doesn't have a whole lot of drama around it. And I think you're right that there is something that, that feels very natural to some people about building rapport around sharing negative thoughts, emotions, or feelings. This complaining um, yes. sort of grievance sharing closeness. Yeah. And it's a dangerous trap to fall into too often or even just in the wrong situation or place. Absolutely. I think that the, a lot of the tactics you're using already are really great. I think keep doing what you're doing is really is really important. You've got a lot of step one down. I think step two comes when the person pushes you beyond your initial kind of brush off. That's what you're asking us. But to that person who says, but I mean, how can you really connect? It's so easy for people to live secret lives, you know, or they just keep pushing and gnawing and trying to draw up that dramatic scenario. Um, You could absolutely say things like, No, it really doesn't. Um, But it seems you're concerned. Is there something you'd like to talk about in your own life going on? Or is there something you'd like to talk about? Or, you know, no, it really doesn't concern me. Why do you ask? You know, because why are you asking me about things I'm telling you aren't an issue for me? I think that actually is a really valid use of the question why. Um, You could also say something like, no, it doesn't. But I'm wondering why you're concerned with this when I keep saying I'm not. And that's what I would use when you really want to be a bit more firm and really show the person that the drama and the concern is completely coming from them. You have no interest in engaging in it. And you'd like to know why it's being pressed upon you. I mean, that's really like, let's get into it. I had a really similar thought here. Yeah. I think that our question asker sort of outlines to the step one responses really well. Yeah. And like you, I want to affirm that that's the good territory. That's the good safe Just etiquette territory. Brush it off. Let it go. Let it be someone else's problem. 
Exactly. And it's that follow-up redirect that seems to be key to taking it to the next step. And I think you can bounce the question back at the person. I think that doing that from a place of confidence and ease so it doesn't come across as attacking or as questioning the integrity of their original question, even though that is a little bit what's going on in your mind. (laughs) I think the the price of admission here to doing that is being able to to absorb that and do it with a smile on your face and, and be the bigger person. Take the high road. Go for that genuine curiosity. Why are you concerned? Exactly. And that sincerity, that genuine curiosity, I think is the place to live (laughs) when you're dealing with people that are a little difficult and are trying to thrive and live and maybe even generate a little bit of drama. I really want to encourage you to think about the subtle ways that by doing this, you start to reprogram the relationship Mm -hmm. and the expectations that people have of you. It will take time. It will take time, but it will happen. You'll become that person who they think of as the no drama, unflappable one in the family. And little by little, that's how family characteristics change and how group dynamics realign. I used to be told that it takes moving one marble in the bowl to shift them all. And I always liked that idea. And you could be that marble that shifts. You're not going to get angry in return. You're not going to say, why do you know something? You're not going to buy into potential drama someone else is going to create. And you can be steadfast in that. And your willingness to be sincere in your lack of drama, to answer questions clearly, to ask people how they feel about it, are the ways you start to reset and reprogram expectations in a relationship. I really like the way you're thinking about this. I like the way that you're aware of what is potentially a real etiquette trap and you're doing your best not to fall into it. This sharing of grievance culture that is so common. I just don't feel that strongly about everything. We agree with you. (laughs) Keep up the good work. We hope that the encouragement of step number two gets you to that awesome place with your family. You're absolutely right. Most family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion which points the way to a happy family life. Our next question is delightfully titled, So Much Right for So Much Wrong. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to the archives and catching up to current episodes of the podcast. It is a delight to listen to Awesome Etiquette during my long commute. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And you are most welcome. Recently, my boyfriend and I stayed with one of my friends for a weekend to see a football game in the town where she happens to live. When we arrived at her apartment complex, my boyfriend asked her multiple times if our cars would get towed from the complex's lot. She insisted each time that they never tow. Although my boyfriend was a little uneasy, since he saw residents had parking passes, we decided to park there anyway due to my friend's sureness in the idea that cars do not get towed at her apartment. We left my car there while we took my boyfriend's car to visit his friends. When we arrived back to my friend's apartment, my car was, of course, missing. My boyfriend and I went to pick up my car from the tow place. When we finally found street parking for both of our cars and grabbed a ride back to my friend's place from someone else, I found an envelope in our guest room with the exact amount for the towing fee and a note saying, sorry, from my friend. This was a very kind gesture, but I did not accept the money. 
While I appreciated the intention, I did not feel right keeping over $150 from my friend who did not create this inconvenience on purpose. So my question is, was I right in doing this or would it have been acceptable to keep the money given to me by my friend? I could afford to pay for being towed, so I did not feel a heavy financial burden or urgent need to keep the money, even though it did hurt to pay that much for something like this. However, she was the one that told us confidently multiple times that they did not tow at her apartment complex. Since I'm sure the towing policy was stated when she moved into this apartment recently, is it her fault for misleading us and therefore her financial responsibility? Or since we could have been more precautious and found parking elsewhere in the first place, were we right to pay for it ourselves? Torn about tow money. And then, hold on, I do want to read this. Even though it says this doesn't need to be read on the podcast, I do think that it's worth mentioning that the visitor passes and guest parking spots were not an option that my friend offered. So I would assume that they do not exist. A lot of complexes have passes that you can give to a visitor, but there also were no parking spots designated to visitors. Torn About Tow Money continues, Also, if I were in her place and was hosting a friend, I would have said, while I have never seen anyone get towed here, there are signs about 24-7 towing and residents have parking passes. So if you'd rather be safe than sorry, I can follow you in my car while you find parking on the street elsewhere and then drive you back to my place. Or you can park here at your own risk. Do you think that would have been a good alternative? Thanks. Torn about tow money. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I know that was really long, but I loved all of it. One of the best questions we've had in a long time. And one of the things I loved about this question when I first read it is as I was reading it, I was saying to myself, oh, she, they, they had to pay. Yeah. And I'm now they're going to be upset the... about the paying. And then sure enough, they get back home and there's an envelope waiting both with the exact amount of money and the little Apology. note. I mean, it was like, wait a minute, where is so what? That's why I said so much good for for. And then the question emerges that's really the etiquette gold star A-plus question of, and we decided not to even accept this incredibly kind and thoughtful gesture, but I'm wondering even about that. This is such a host-guest dance question, and it's with both parties playing their parts so well. And it's a delight to read it. It's a delight to think about it. And I wanted to thank Torn About Toe Money. And I liked the follow-up. I liked the the alternative language, the thinking about the way that this could have been handled in a perfect world with 2020 hindsight. Yeah. And I really like the suggestion that's put forth. It's a great suggestion. I don't think you can do any wrong here. I think because both parties are so aware of each other and yeah. are taking such good care that um, any of three possible options here are going to be okay. And I really liked the way you broke this down into three options oh, yeah? because I liked having some middle territory here. The, the obvious one of you can – keep the money or you can give the money back occurred right. to me immediately, you had another thought. I did have a thought. And and you are absolutely right. Etiquette doesn't dictate that you take the 150 or you don't take the 150. Um, it, it That's not what the etiquette will do. This is more about your own personal budget, needs, feelings about the matter, comfort zones, those sorts of things. So let that guide you. The third option is you do have kind of like the potential to split it through a volleying back and forth, which it sounds really funny. The Dan's cracking up on the other side of the mic here. He's like, his eyes are all. I like this option. <laughs> I know. And you could say, Michelle, that's such a kind gesture. I could not take the whole 150 at all. I appreciate you recognizing that telling us not to worry about it helped cause the towing. But 
We also chose to ignore other signals telling us that it would be an issue. How about we split the cost so that we both feel good? Um, I think what a lot of people don't always understand is that it can feel good to do something to fix a situation. This may feel very transactional, but it also may have a, a feeling of completion to it as well, where there isn't kind of this, oh, I wish I could have contributed to that. Because what isn't happening is that the friend who does feel genuinely guilty and feels like she played a part in this would like to rectify that. And giving someone the space and the permission to do that is a kindness in and of itself. It's, it's simple, it's small, but it's the small ways in which we build really strong relationships when we allow each other to have acts of forgiveness and acts of repayment and acts of let me, I don't want to say atone, but let me do good. Let me make good on this. And I think it's a really important thing to let happen. So offering that split and recognizing why a split would make sense to you might be a way to let your friend pay for what she would really like to pay for and also let you feel okay about it as well. It takes the sting out of it on it both does. sides a little bit. 75 is a little less of a, a ding yeah. than that 150, even if both parties can afford it. And and that might take this unfortunate, this doesn't feel good moment and, like Lizzie says, make it feel a little bit better. I also love that there was a sorry note oh with gosh, the money. That it wasn't just like, it. here's money, let me fix this. Yeah. That, that, that apology, that acknowledgement of the place that that feeling of responsibility comes from mm-hmm. is a really important part of helping people feel good on both sides of this, no matter what course they take. Absolutely. Torn about tow money, we hope that this gives you some options and that you and your friend have a wonderful visit tow-free next time. Thank you for your questions. You can send your next question, update, or comment to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes in response to episode 160 and the question about hijacking social media posts. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I hope you both are well. I love your show. Thank you so much for all the work you and your family do. I was just listening to episode 160 and the question about hijacking social media posts and had some thoughts. I think another scenario not covered in the question or answer that would count as hijacking is if I'm speaking to a specific audience and then get a bunch of notifications not in that audience. For example, when I was in college, I got invited to a nice dinner the day of, and I didn't have a nice purse, so I posted on Facebook, college friends, anyone have a fancy evening clutch I can borrow tonight? PM me, thanks. This means for me, notifications on my post should have signaled that I was about to get help, but the notifications were cousins of mine from a totally different state commenting, hope you find one, and then another cousin, where are you going tonight? And in five minutes, I had a bunch of notifications, none of which was actually helping me get a purse for my last-minute invite. That is hijacking a post and making it inconvenient for me. I don't think it's rude for me to post to my friends and to take out a subset for the case like this because it's an emergency and people can read and don't need to comment. The whole point of social media is that it's social, and sometimes I need to be social with a certain group and I don't need 15 notifications from people who aren't part of that. 
It happened a couple of times. For example, I asked for a recommendation for Las Vegas. And there's my cousin from Wisconsin commenting, have fun in Vegas. And I'm a little salty about it because I'm trying to ask a specific question that I want as many people who might have meaningful input can comment on. I wanted to share these examples of what not to do in regards to social media commenting. Also, I want to make it clear that after both of these events, I posted pictures and video, all of which are chances for people to comment their well wishes. I'm not upset at all at the well wishes. I'm irritated, though, when I'm trying to get specific information out of my friend group and people take over the conversation. Thank you both again for your amazing podcast. Sincerely, Rachel. I wanted to focus on Rachel's feedback today because I'm of two minds with it. On the one side, I kind of want to say, why are you posting to a specific group but posting to a much broader audience? Kind of like you're putting it out to too big a group. Dan gave me the most wonderful example of it's like standing on a stage to an audience of a full room of people and asking for just one small portion to respond to you. And that does happen at times. It does. But like people command audiences like that. But this is a little bit of a different group that you're you're fishing for response from. And I understand the salty feeling because think about it in the moment, right? You've got like an hour or so to get ready for a fancy event. A little bit of pressure sometimes comes on. You want to look your best. You want to behave your best. You know, you listen to a show called Awesome Etiquette. (laughs) Um, And I think that there's that pressurized moment and you get 15 notifications all telling you to have fun and not a single thing helps you in your moment of need. I get feeling salty about that. But I'm wondering if posting to a private message board would have been better because you would have just gotten responses from the college friends. At the same time, when you post out to that larger group, you get the opportunity to maybe hear from someone you didn't expect who would solve your problem. So it's like I don't want to fault Rachel for using the system the way she did. But I am kind of feeling like maybe you can't quite put so much judgment on the responses you get. Is this really hijacking, Dan? I like the way you're wrestling with this. A I'm little really bit. struggling. I, I also want you to love know that. the term salty. <laughs> I know. I, when I read that, I was like, we have to use this feedback. I want to parse the answer even more. I want to get down Do into it. the weeds a little bit and say that I don't think there's anything wrong with making a post like this. Yeah. Okay. But good. I would encourage someone not to indulge too much in that salty feeling about the responses. I, because I, it's so public. It's such a broad so audience public. on Facebook. Yeah. And I really appreciate the idea about the follow-up that there are posts I do that are general posts where I even talk about these particular events that I've asked yeah. for help with that give people a more general opportunity without it being such a specific topic to comment and offer their well wishes and thoughts. It would be good etiquette to, as a commenter on people's posts, Really try to place your comments appropriately. Yes. And I think there's a really good point of etiquette that Rachel brings up here, which is notice the conversation that you're entering. Notice that the tone of the post as well as what it's about. And if there's a particular question asked, maybe honor that question. I'm thinking of myself, there's always etiquette from two sides in an equation. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a a speaker standing in front of that audience, I'm going to hold myself accountable. At the same time, if I'm in the audience, if someone says, all right, I want to hear from all of the women in the room. Have you ever encountered this? If I'm a man sitting there, I'm not going to shout out something in response. <laughs> There's definitely etiquette from both sides of the equation. And I think it's good to to be thinking about that. And when Rachel asked the question, I think that the good etiquette advice is 
try not to feel so salty. Try to understand that they're just chiming in and offering their encouragement, trying to participate and stay connected, which is one of the, the really nice things about social media. And I would say to those family members, maybe notice what's being asked in questions on posts yeah. and try to be a little careful. I totally, totally agree. And what I'm hearing us describe here is now the host guest dance of social media, that there's always the responsibility on everyone's part to behave well and and keep the focus and the intention in the right places. But when that doesn't go right, it's like you have to almost let that go, be the bigger person, try not to let that saltiness come out on these posters who have kind of hijacked, as you say, your post, but say, okay, I appreciate the well wishes. This isn't helping me, but I appreciate the well wishes. And that's kind of as far as you can go. You can't comment back to them. Why did you comment? This was so wrong. Even though it would be so satisfying, I think, to vent that thought or that frustration. Those are the ones where, you know, you want to, I don't know, scream it to the heavens or punch a pillow or do something. But like you you don't take it out on the people who are kind of not behaving as appropriately as you would like. <laughs> Rachel, I hope the event went well. And I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us because it certainly gave us something to think about. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much, Rachel. Questions like these are kind of tough to answer in any family. Suppose we hear what you have to say about them, Okay. And thank you to everyone who sent thoughts, updates, and comments. Please do keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is part two of how a dinner can be bungled. Again, you will find the start of this tale on page 179 of the 1922 edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. Dan, how doth our story unfold? We left our hostess and host having prepared well for the meal that was to follow. (laughs) Then you go into the drawing room. You don't light the fire until the last moment because you want it to be burning brightly when your guests arrive. Your drawing room looks a little stiff somehow, but an open fire, more than anything else, makes a room inviting, and you light it just as your first guest rings the bell. As Mr. Club Window enters, the room looks charming. Then suddenly the fire smokes, and in the midst of the smoke, your other guests arrive. Oh, no. Everyone begins to cough and blink. (laughs) They are very polite, but the smoke, growing each moment denser, is not to be overlooked. (laughs) Miss Top Lofty takes matters into her own hands and makes Mr. Doe and your husband carry the logs, smoke and all, and throw them into the yard. (laughs) The room, still thick with smoke, is now cheerlessly fireless. And another factor beginning to distress you is that, although everyone has arrived, there is no sign of dinner. You wait, at first merely eager to get out of the smoke-filled drawing room. Gradually, you are becoming nervous. What can have happened? The dining room door might be that of a tomb for all the evidence of life behind it. You become really alarmed. Is dinner never going to be served? Everyone's eyes are red from the smoke and conversation is getting weaker and weaker. (laughs) Miss Top Lofty, evidently despairing, sits down. (laughs) Miss Worldly also sits. Both hold their eyes shut and say nothing. At last, the dining room door opens, and Sigrid, instead of bowing slightly and saying in a low tone of voice, dinner is served, stands stiff as a block of wood and fairly shouts, dinner's all ready. (laughs) You hope no one heard her, but you know very well that nothing escaped any one of those present. 
And between the smoke and the delay and your waitress manners, you are already thoroughly mortified by the time you reach the table. (laughs) But you hope that at least the dinner will be good. For the first time, you are assailed with doubt on that score. And again, you wait. But the oyster course is all right. And then comes the soup. You don't have to taste it to see that it is wrong. It looks not at all as clear soup should. Its color, instead of being glass-clear amber, is greasy-looking brown. You taste it fearing the worst, and the worst is realized. It tastes like dishwater and is barely tepid. You look around the table. Mr. Kindheart alone is trying to eat it. In removing the plates, Delia, the assistant, takes them up by piling one on top of the other, clashing them together as she does so. You can feel Miss Worldly looking with almost hypnotized fascination (laughs) as her attention might be drawn to a street accident against her will. (laughs) Then there is a wait. You wait and wait, and looking in front of you, you notice the bare tablecloth without a plate. You know instantly that the service is wrong, but you find yourself puzzled to know that it should have been done. Finally, Sigrid comes in with a whole dozen plates stacked in a pile, and she proceeds to deal around the table. You at least know that to try to interfere would only make matters worse. You hold your own cold fingers in your lap, knowing that you must sit there and that you can do nothing. The fish, which was to have been a moose with hollandaise sauce, is a huge mound, much too big for the platter, with a narrow gutter of water around the edge and the center dabbed over with a curdled yellow mess. You realize that not only is the food itself awful, but that the quantity is too great for one dish. You don't know what to do next. You know there is no use in apologizing. There is no way of dropping through the floor or waking yourself up. You have collected the smartest and the most critical people around your table and put them to torture such as they will never forget. Never. You have to bite your lips to keep from crying. Whatever possessed you to ask these people to your horrible house. Mr. Kindheart, sitting next to you, says gently, Cheer up, little girl. It doesn't really matter. And then you know to the full how terrible the situation is. The meal is endless. Each course is equally unappetizing to look at and abominably served. You notice that none of your guests eat anything they can't. You leave the table literally sick, but realizing fully that the giving of a dinner is not as easy as you thought. And in the drawing room, which is now fireless and freezing, but at least smokeless, you start to apologize and burst into tears. There's got to be. What what happens after that? As you are very young, and those present are all really fond of you, they try to be comforting. But you know that it will be years, if ever, before any of them will be willing to risk an evening in your house again. You also know that without malice, but in truth and frankness, they will tell everyone, whatever you do, don't dine with the new weds unless you eat your dinner before you go and wear black glasses so no sight can offend you. Oh, my goodness. I feel so bad for Mrs. Newlywed and Mr. Newlywed. Like, I just, oh, and, they, and the kind heart's like, don't worry, dear. Like, oh, ouch. It's, it's a painful to listen to cautionary tale. It is. I, but I love that Emily puts it in the book as like, here is how things can go really terribly wrong. She paints a vivid picture. I have found myself in the situation of taking burning logs out of a fireplace and trying to get them outside and it is just a nightmare and a mess i love though is that emily is able to get in all of the what not to do's in such a colorful and fun way (laughs) and her concluding (laughs) advice somewhere towards the end of this section is give yourself some time yes practice a little bit that it's not as easy as it seems and give yourself the opportunity to succeed to get it down before you step out on that grand stage with such enthusiasm 
We like to end our show on a high note, sans bungles, and we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today's comes from Daisy. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast so much. Not only is it such fun to listen to, but it has helped me to approach all situations in life from a place of kindness and consideration. I have a salute that I was hoping you might use on the show. Yesterday, I was in a drive through lane that merged from two lanes into one. The woman in the car beside me drove ahead of me out of turn. When she realized that she had scooted ahead of me, she looked back and waved apologetically. I appreciated her acknowledgement and did not expect any more to come of it. However, when I reached the window, I was told that she had paid for my coffee. I thought this was so kind of her, and it made me feel so good for the rest of the day. I wish I could have thanked her, but I will just hope that she is also a listener of the show. Thank you both so much for bringing the truly awesome world of etiquette to us all. Best, Daisy. Awesome! Daisy, thank you for bringing this etiquette salute to us. Who would think for the price of coffee you could spread so much joy in the world? I love it. Who for the price of cutting someone off and getting them a coffee that you could spread so much joy in the world? Well, thank you for listening today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. You can now subscribe to the show by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also help us out by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks you, Chris. Chris. 